Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already, and please share widely with others as well. Before we kick things off, a big thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is a mission-first technology company seeking to increase empathy in the world using the internet as a source of knowledge, inspiration, and communication. Quilt AI works on issues including climate change, gender equity, and health across the world. They are a Singapore-based company with teams in New York, London, Zurich, Delhi. They believe that the true value of the internet has yet to be seen. The internet has been used to index data, store photos, conduct e-commerce, but it truly has not yet been used to understand the other. And this is the mission that Quilt AI is on, that of converting the internet into a space of understanding and appreciation. So a big thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show, Matt Jordan, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Gorongosa Trust. They run various social enterprises within Gorongosa National Park in Mozambique. And Gorongosa National Park is perhaps Africa's greatest wildlife restoration story. We're gonna be talking about social enterprise and how it can lead to sustainable profitability that is plowed back into wildlife conservation, into local communities and their livelihood, and into improving the environment. So without further ado, Matt, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you so much, Abeto. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So you're in Mozambique right now, are you? Yes, sir. Excellent. So tell me a little bit about what you do. What What is Gorongosa Trust? What is the Gorongosa National Park? What are these social enterprises? It's interesting the journey uh, that we're all on and, and where it takes us. And it, for me, it took me to Gorongosa National Park. And I, I think before I talk about the trust, I think the heart of what we're doing is in Gorongosa National Park. And, and really, the unique model that's being uh, championed there and being implemented there in one of the most challenging places to uh, to accomplish something at scale in conservation and human development, mm. Mozambique. And so, Gorongosa National Park has a a long history. It's a it's been lauded as one of the most biodiverse places on the planet. At one point in its history, it was it was quite a um, it was like the rival of the Serengeti and some of these other. Uh, very large parks in terms of uh, animal counts, in terms of uh, pristine wilderness. And um, like like so many other uh, countries this part of the world, there was a pretty uh, serious battle for independence in Mozambique. And directly after the independence was a, a battle for uh, a civil war within the country. And that's not the story of Mozambique. Mozambique is a, is a, has a um, a rich culture and has um, has amazing people. However, the story of the conflict is really centered in Gorongosa. That was that was where the heart of so much of the fighting was done. And as a result, nearly ninety percent of the animal populations were were wiped out. Hmm. And beyond the devastation to the wildlife was a severe, you know, human cost. That's that's where this project really starts. And uh, there's a fantastic story of 
Nelson Mandela and the former president of Mozambique, uh, President Shisano, coming together and talking about how to turn national parks, this thing that was a legacy from colonial times, how to turn this into something that for generations they can be proud of, something that becomes their own legacy. And those two people got together. Uh, president Shisano found Greg Carr, who was a philanthropist who was really enthusiastic about building something, you know, that could kind of change how we think about conservation and human development. And they came together and they started this project, uh, the Gorongosa Project, uh, centered in Gorongosa National Park. And fundamentally, it comes in two flavors. And the flavors are human development and conservation at a massive scale, about the scale of uh, two million hectares or the size of, you know, kind of the size of Belgium. So it's a, it's an, it's an ambitious initiative that's been undertaken in one of the most challenging places geographically. Um, I, I would, uh, I would challenge, I know, I know for some of your listeners, if they've been to Africa, they, or even, I mean, I'm from California. I know some roads in LA that are a bit funny, mm. uh, but there's some roads that are here that are quite, quite amazing, you know, getting through. Sure. Um, and then uh, mostly the continued conflict in the story of uh, being on the front lines of climate change, being on the front lines of um, this kind of global connected world of, of, of uncertainty, and then year after year meeting those challenges face on and then overcoming them one after the other. And that to me has been one of the most exciting parts of, of working here it was just this, I, I mean, I could just tell you a quick story is sure. that for the last five, for the last, I've been here for about eight years. And for the last several years, every 12 months has been some very intense shock to the system of Mozambique. There was the commodities crash, which you know affected all the farmers around the park. There was th this currency in this country basically got devalued by half, uh, just destroying small businesses. Then we got hit with a class five cyclone last year. Um, and then there was about three or four years of very intense uh, resurgence of, of fighting, localized uh, right there in Gorongosa. And year after year, we faced these things. And what we learned about ourselves was a lesson about resilience. Mm. That um, it doesn't matter if it's a, if it's a plague, if it's, a, if it's flooding, or if it's an economic disaster, you know, the team here, the communities, they all come together and they just turn the corner on some of these things. And what I've been very excited about is for a long time, I thought that I wasn't sure how I would use these type of skills in the rest of the world. Yeah. And then kind of instead of us only converging, you know, here as a, uh, an emerging country, converging to something like I have in the U.S. or the U.K., it turns out that the rest of the world is kind of converging on the uncertainty and the need for agility and resilience that we are so practiced in, in this part of the world. So that's a very long introduction. I just wanted to. No, no, that's great. That's great. And tell me about Gorongosa National Park itself. So you mentioned the geographic footprint, which is massive. Uh, how many people work there? What is, what does it look like? Yeah, it's a really unique set of habitats and, and biomes that, um, it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. It just, it's just it's fundamentally a gorgeous place to be. 
And it sits, Gorongosa sits at the end of the Great Rift Valley. So the, the Great Rift Valley is really represents that origin story of all humankind. And it stretches all the way up to Ethiopia. And we're at the very end of that, that giant rift. And that means we're sitting in this, this, this massive valley that creates a, a beautiful floodplain. So it, every rainy season, it just fills up with water and the bird life and the you know, hippos and crocodiles and elephants and every other you know, massive uh, uh, animal and, is there just running around, creating this amazing landscape. And what's, what's very exciting is that within a short, like if you were to traverse Gorongosa, you would come across so many different types of habitats that you, you, you would you would it's kind of staggering where you're you're hitting a, a, a fever tree forest, you're hitting a sand forest, you're coming across a massive floodplain with no trees and just you know these huge lakes. You have these dry Miombo woodlands, Mapani forests, and then it stretches all the way up to this thing called Mount Gorongosa, where we actually grow coffee and do this reforestation project. It stretches from about 1,800 meters at its peak down into the rift and then all the way to the Indian Ocean with this, uh, this Morameo Reserve, which is part of this landscape. And that Morameo Reserve contains one of the largest extents of mangrove forests in Africa, like 1% of all mangrove forests you know, pass through some of that area. Wow. So you have this mountains to mangroves conservation area. And it, it's it's just it's incredibly beautiful. So we we're a, we're a team uh, that's growing extremely rapidly as we start to expand the the these programs that we're implementing. And so right now we're about 700 staff, which is which is pretty big. I, I'm one of two Americans. I think there's a there's a Polish guy who recently got his uh-huh. uh, U.S. citizenship. So. so he counts. So I think we're three now. Yeah, there's three or four of us. Right. And uh, well, it sounds absolutely glorious. Is it yeah. challenging or difficult to get there if, if one wanted to visit? We have some unique um, advantages. So you can actually fly into South Africa and to Johannesburg and then take a flight um, directly to the, the nearest city called Beta, which is it's, it's an interesting city culturally and historically in its own right. And then we have this really exciting charter service that you can get on this little you know, Cessna 206 and fly the extent of this river and then land right in Gorongos National Park. So it's equivalent access to Botswana, Tanzania, or anywhere else you'd fly to. Um, and it's only getting better. The roads are getting better um, and some other things are, are improving. Great. So Great, great. So let me ask you about all of these social enterprises that are going on over there. I've, uh, I've read with much interest a lot of the stuff you're doing with coffee, for instance. I think you have cashew nuts and the pipeline as well. And but essentially, the way I understand it is various social enterprises that incorporate also the local communities and that provide a sustainable business model to uh, improve the financial well-being and long-term sustainability of, of the park itself. It's, it's interesting. I, I've, I've listened to your podcast and it's interesting to think about myself listening to myself on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Because I look. I learned so many things listening to the people talking. And so um, I, I only say that because there's an, in, an interesting lesson here. So many of these national parks around the world, uh, and particularly in these emerging countries, are looking for you know, their best strategy to survive the next century. You know, mm-hmm. In Africa, we're going from basically one billion people across the continent 
expected to go to 4 billion people. So if you quadruple, you know, this population, we go from 1 billion to 4 billion, you know, you have to have room for these people. And if you are not practicing sustainable agriculture or you're not, you know, doing sustainable urban development, many of your green spaces, many of your protected areas are extremely under threat. And we see this with, you know, with rhinos, we see this with a lot of other key species, you know, mm-hmm. I, um, critically endangered species. And so what we're doing is we have looked at this thing of like, you have a national park and really what are the threats? Most of the threats, you have climate change sitting out there looming and then you have all these human pressures. And so we made the decision early on in this project, uh, started about a decade ago, to ensure that what we do is we do human development and conservation. Mm -hmm. And we're not the first to do integrated conservation human development projects. What's exciting is that we've added in the private sector. So, and I, I haven't seen this at scale in, in many places. And the model is that we've identified with the local community and the government some key, um, some key industries where we can encourage development, which create jobs. And as people have more jobs and more opportunities, the less need they have to encroach on protected areas or rely on unsustainable um, harvesting of, uh, of animals and things like that. And for us, w- what does our landscape looks like? Well, we've got um, forestry. There's massive um, hardwood native forests. We've got ecotourism. So this is, again, one of the most beautiful places in the whole world and one of the greatest potentials for inviting guests and having people come and mm-hmm. experience it, experience Gorongosa. And then we also have this amazing potential of the there's about 200,000 people living around the park. So about 200,000 people and 80% of them are what's categorized as subsistence farmers. Okay. And that really means a lifestyle of un, living on under $2 a day. Hmm. And that creates a lot of vulnerabilities. It creates a the instances of malnutrition, of access to medical care, of access to education, of some of these critical human development index metrics are really low and the communities are really vulnerable. And so taking that subsistence level farming and and commercializing, creating more small businesses, creating access to capital, creating uh, the enabling conditions is the way we always think about Mm -hmm. it, uh, really creates opportunity. So those are our three pillars. We've We've got forestry, ecotourism, and then we've got what we're calling agribusiness. Those are the those are the main pillars, and within each of those pillars, we've developed some intensive, large scale programs to create enabling conditions for local populations, for investment, for creating the supply chain needs, the production capacity, the skills building of. Of, of local people in, in order to participate in the value addition that's happening. And we're pumping our so much of our time and effort in creating those enabling conditions. Meanwhile, we're using these enterprises to capture that value along specific value chains. So you, you mentioned coffee, cashew, and honey. And what does that look like? I think coffee is the most exciting example because I love coffee and uh-huh. I drink a ton of coffee. And I, just on an aside, 
one of the most exciting things about working in coffee is you can almost talk to anybody because if they don't drink coffee, which is a very small number of people, they know somebody who drinks coffee and they want to know more about it. For much of my life, I was an engineer. I was a water engineer and no one really wanted to hear about my job. <laughs> and now as a coffee grower and um you know, producer of coffee, it seems like everybody's excited about Everybody uh, the work we know. do. You're very popular all of a sudden. How did you, how did, well, so the way I understand it, this is a, it all started with a public-private partnership between the Carr Foundation and the government of Mozambique back in 2008. And now we are where we are. I think uh, a couple of years back, the government of Mozambique renewed this agreement for a further 25 years or something along those lines. So you must be doing something right. And you're mentioning about this enabling element. And I'm curious in terms of how is the knowledge base, all of this commercial knowledge base, social enterprise knowledge base coming into the project? Where is it coming from? Who, who, who are those individuals? And also how, how does that knowledge base then trickle over into a local context so that it isn't in perpetuity that you need to have an outside influence that you could have that knowledge base continued and fostered from within yeah Albert, that is a fantastic question and honestly that is where i feel that my heart is is when i see folks really learning these skills and and just getting a a deeper understanding of either their craft or or business itself or commercial enterprises or something like that. I, I always just am very inspired. And so here's a, here's one story that I'll share. And this mm -hmm. might not address everything you said, but it, it's an interesting story. So we kicked off the coffee project about six years ago, more or less. At that time, and at this time, uh, Mozambique has... Uh, no coffee production to speak of, N no large-scale farms. Right. There's never Historically, there's never been coffee production because as a colony, uh, Portugal decided that Mozambique does tea and Angola does coffee. So you won't find Mozambican coffees uh, except us. And that means when we came here, we brought one of the uh, – we brought an amazing agronomist who, who's a Zimbabwean agronomist who worked in – Zambia, he worked in DRC, worked in Angola, basically reviving old coffee farms and 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 working with local communities. And he is a master of this of this approach. So he comes in, and on his first day, his name's Quentin. On his first day, he says he's he's sitting there with a group of uh, local technicians. So these are Mozambican technicians from the local area in Gorongosa. They they've never really drank coffee. They don't really know anything yeah. about growing coffee. They're they're agri they're agronomists in in a very basic level. And he says, "Okay, who wants to work on the coffee project?" And a guy raises his hand, and his name was CNL. He's my good friend. I've known each other for years. We've been through thick and thin. And he says, "Who wants to grow coffee?" And CNL raises his hand. Years later, we find out that CNL thought they were offering coffee. And <laughs> He rose, he rose his hand and said, yeah, I'll take some coffee. And now you know. fast, forward, fast forward six years, he's visited uh, Brazil two times. He's basically the, the lead field supervisor for everything we're doing related to agronomy, production, processing, working with smallholder farmers. And he, he, he can be put up against 
any farmer in the world, any African coffee farmer in the world, I would put CNL right up against them and he can hold his own. And that's a, that's a direct result of being, you know, mentored, uh, being invested in as a, as a team member and, and his, his, in his own right, his own commitment and courage to do some of this work. So that's just an anecdote, anecdotal piece of it's fascinating. a much greater part. Yeah. We, I, I could look across our enterprise and you would find so many people like Sunel who started, there's a guy who started cutting grass and right now he's getting his master's in biology, you know, and, and that just comes from sheer grit, determination. And then uh, the Gorongosa project opening, you know, providing opportunities. That's, that's really what we've been all about is, you know, finding doors and trying to open doors for uh, so many of uh, uh, the local staff. That's great. Now, tell me about the Gorongosa project and, and particularly about the, um, the coffee uh, business line, as it were. So you're basically the sole producers of coffee in Mozambique, or just about? Yeah, that's right. We were the first ever specialty coffee produced in Mozambique. So I, in the very first, we had to get this trademark for Gorongosa coffee. And so I had to bring a box of green bean out of Gorongosa. And it was the first ever coffee. And I sort of put it in my bag and got it out of the country. But that was the first time that specialty coffee had ever come out of Mozambique. So if you were looking at a map and the map had lights on it of every coffee producing country in the world, that moment on my little bag, a little light would flick on for Mozambique because that was the first ever time right. we became a single origin uh, 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 coffee coffee sourcing country. So. And so tell me, what does what the coffee production look now? How much are you producing? What sort of coffee are you producing? I, I have to preface with the, the most exciting part is that the coffee is grown on Mount Gorongosa, which is a, a, above 1,000 meters, this beautiful, uh, this beautiful mountain that supplies so much of the fresh water into the national park itself. And this mountain is part of the national park, so it's a, it's a, it's a large a annex of Gorongosa National Park. And there's been serious forest loss happening for uh, the last decade. And it, we've lost almost 50% of our forests. Mm. And the coffee project is, an, is a direct result of having conversations with communities and understanding that if we want to regrow this forest, there has to be some uh, local value added. And coffee is one of the few products that you can create an agroforestry system with native hardwood trees and literally regrow the forest and capture that biodiversity that, uh, that, that gets lost with, mm. uh, with production of maize or some of these other monocropped um, cultivars. And, and that's what we see. So if I could just take you on a, a, a mind, a, li a little mental model for a second. Please do. Imagine, yeah. you're looking, imagine you're looking at a big field. And in this field, you look left. And on the left, you see no trees, but you see a bunch of little green dots on the ground, little bushes, very small bushes, knee high, spreading out for, for some ways. And it's, it, it looks hot, and there's sun, tons of sun, and there's little green bushes in perfect lines. And I say, I say, over there, Alberto, that is year zero coffee. That's freshly planted coffee. You say, well, it just looks like an empty field. There's no trees. I said, that's interesting because uh, that, that used to be um, uh, a maize field where 
all the nutrients was gone. The land was tired. They always say kansadu. The land was so mm-hmm. tired that you couldn't get any productivity out of it. And I say, we're, we're planting coffee. And I say, we're going to bring that coffee back. And, um, and you say, okay, interesting. And I say, we're also going to bring back the forest. And you say, wow. Okay, interesting. I say, we're also going to provide, we're going to turn people from $2 a day people, which is really vulnerable, into $8 a day people, which is like a teacher. And, and that's really an exciting proposition. You say, that's, that's a big ticket. You're, you're trying to sell me Something. a whole lot of things here. And then I say, look right. And you start to look right. And on the right-hand side of this field, you just see a big forest, like a big closed canopy forest. It looks like a jungle. And you say, yeah, that's a jungle. I say, actually, that is a five-year-old agro coffee forest. And, you, and you, you say, no way. And we go over there, and you look at the trees. And underneath the big native trees in the closed canopy forest is you know, two-meter-tall uh, coffee bushes that are mm. producing beautiful specialty Arabica coffee that are providing, you know, household income for the community that's there and incredible biodiversity. About 80% of the biodiversity you find in a, in a, in a rainforest, you can find in a, in a coffee agroforestry system. And that's a, that's a huge win. That's a huge win for, for biodiversity. Fascinating. And what are you, um, I mean, that's truly remarkable. What does it look like now? You mentioned there was so much deforestation, so much of the forest that had been lost. And now with the coffee initiative, what's the state of affairs in terms of trying to get back to the status quo in some way? Yeah. So here's our track record. We started with 90% large animal loss within the the core of the park. And within 10 years, we went from 10,000 large animals to 100,000 large animals, which is which is unbelievable. And it shows uh, it shows that restoration and recovery is possible. And now we're sitting here at the beginning of what we hope is in the next 10 to 25 years is a similar restoration story. We just got a peace treaty signed uh, last year. It was signed by the, uh, the, the opposition party, which lives and has bases and military in the, in, on the mountain. And we've, we, I can tell you many other stories uh, about what it's like to try to operate on, mm. in between a, a government sure. army and an opposition army and trying to, trying to play nice on both sides. And, uh, and they just signed a peace treaty and they just are demobilizing and entering into this process of uh, demilitarization. And that the soldiers just came down three weeks ago and turned in their guns after years of negotiation. So mm. we're... We're sitting with this moment in time, which is the, the start of what we hope is the is the great recovery that we're going to we're going to hit. We've we've managed to build the fundamental building block. So we, we know every community that's there. We have deep ties, deep connections, trust. Uh, we have the proof of concept by growing uh, about 150 hectares of coffee, and we're planning to grow 100 hectares every year for the next 10 years. I mean, we have a roadmap. When we combined the coffee production value chain, when we combined some potential agroforestry other initiatives, and then when we combine the opportunity in terms of carbon, you're going to look at a, a sort of a, a diverse mix of revenue generating livelihoods that will transform the communities, again, from being in a very vulnerable position to actually being in a position where um, they can make a lot of different choices and and affirming choices for themselves and for the environment. 
you know, when we talk about impact at scale, a lot of times it's difficult to figure that out, but it sounds like you're, uh, you have your fingerprints all over that right now. The bit that you touched on, which is, is, is really interesting uh, also, is, um, you know, normally private and public partnerships are, can be quite challenging. And in this case, you have that added dynamic that it's a private-public partnership and also you have a, a government military force and an opposing military force all within the boundaries of your own, as it were, right. philanthropic or social enterprise, which sounds like madness. That's exactly. That's exact. And then you sometimes get hit with a cyclone and then other times you get hit with some other weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I forget to ask you, uh, if I wanted to get my hands on some of this coffee, it, what's the what? Are you have a trade name for for it? Is there a website? How how does somebody uh, who's listening to this right now, wherever they might be, how do, how does somebody get this coffee? And and I'm excited that you you asked this question because I this is one of those moments, one of those elements that really sets what we're doing apart. And I would not be surprised if in five to ten years you find many other products derived from direct impact. And you're already seeing this with benefit corporations. You're already seeing this, you know, people are scratching at the surface of this for years with certifications. And now you're starting to see entire enterprises and organizations and companies totally focused on impact. And, and that's exactly what we are. We're, we're a direct impact company. And, and that part is, is really exciting because I mean, I'm one person who, you know, I've basically lived in Mozambique for many years and my colleagues are there and we do this amazing work that I, I'm, I'm so proud of them and, and I'm so proud to be part of this team. And just now we're able to take that whole story and we're able to basically uh, bring it to the rest of the the world and, mm. and really the rest of the world and, and within a very short amount of time. So we have managed to create a brand that tells the story of Gorongoza project and Gorongoza and, and the impact that we're happening with elephants, with building schools, sending girls to school, uh, restoring the rainforest. And all of that is found on the back of your package. You know, you can drink your coffee and read about changing the world and be part of changing the world. So we, we're, you know, online, we're our Gorongoza, you know, like we're, we're sort of a big team. That's that's how we think about it, and I I really believe it's an expression of our values that we believe in creating a world where humans and the planet are thriving together. And and what I'm finding is that a lot of people, a lot of consumers and and conscientious people and and just people who who love a a good story, they want to be part of that. And, yeah. and they're 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 buying our coffee and they're. They're enjoying it. That's the beauty is everyone, when they get the coffee, they they always drink it and they say, well, I was very excited for the story, but now I'm coming back because the coffee is so good. The coffee is not bad. Great. And so what's the website address though? rgorongoza.com. R as in? O-W-R. So our. If you're interested in uh, visiting the park or learning some more about the health or these other things, there's gorongoza.org, which is our more of the project side. Okay. So what are you most excited about for the next 10 years, by the way? What, what, what success look like to you in the next 10 years? The big success is that 
we get our name out there, we create these social enterprises, because that's the part that I work on. So that's always the part that I'm talking about. But yeah. the, uh, the part that I'm, I'm most excited about is we create these thriving enterprises, we create thousands of jobs, we create industries of dignified work uh, that, are, that are sustainable industries that are actually value additive versus value extractive and that we prove the model at scale to the rest of the world in the most, one of the most difficult places ever to work. And, you know, that's probably why we picked it. You know, yeah. it's just, well, if you can do it here, guess what? You can do it anywhere. And, and so I, I'm very excited about that. I, if I had asked my colleagues, I think they're excited about some of the, the, the animal wildlife counts that are happening. We're growing every year with, you know, thousands of animals just just thriving in those areas we had wild dogs recently that were uh, or painted wolves that were reintroduced they were locally extinct but they're reintroduced and they went from 16 to over a hundred within a very short amount of time and there's only about six thousand painted wolves in the whole world yeah yeah before we wrap up, also, I got to ask you, what's that key takeaway you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? I would say be part of something that creates a world where people and the planet thrive together. And if it's with Aragorn and Goza, we're happy to welcome you. If it's with some other enterprise, organization, company, with your family, whatever it is that's creating that success and that um, interconnectedness, I think that that's the future where where we need to get to. And I say that with with a serious, with a, a very having survived a very challenging time. I, I say that as like not a not a not a rosy eyed sort of person, you know. Yeah. I say that as literally a resilience is survival um, in the future. Perfect. Very well said. Look, Matt, it has been a wonderful pleasure having you on the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you so very much. And uh, to our audience, as always, thank you for tuning in, for listening, for your feedback. Your support is always very, very much appreciated. You've been listening to Matt Jordan, who is the CEO of the Gorongosa Trust, and who is passionate about wildlife conservation and social enterprise and everything going together. Uh, Matt, thank you so much. It has been great. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully, these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better. <laughs>